I felt torn between the hunger for instant gratification and the sweetness of anticipation. Then I remembered her flower is a gift, a rare blossom that must not be eaten until perfectly ripe. Violet lifted her hips, beckoning her queen to consume her. But I simply sampled with a few sweet nibbles. I didn't dare ruin my appetite. This is sex. Everyone gets what they want. This is sexploration. Explore. Play. This is Sexploration with Monica. Sex is proof that God loves us and wants us to have fun. Sexploration with Monica at sexplorationwithmonica.com. Hi, and welcome to Sexploration with Monica. I'm very excited about today's guest. This is Kamala Devi, and they are a tantrika a sex educator in their own right. They even had a reality television show. So welcome to Sexploration with Monica. Thank you. We're going to be talking about your exciting new book that I have been reading just hot and heavy for the last couple of days. It's mm -hmm. called 52 Fridays and it's a fantasy. And I'd like to start with a little foreplay. I mean, um, the foreword, your foreword, <laughs> the ethical disclaimer, um, which I think is a very good way for people to kind of get an understanding of what you're trying to do here with this book, where you honor your mentors like Annie Sprinkle. Yeah, Annie Sprinkle and Charles Muir both had big influences on the particular characters that I wrote to take this journey. And also Veronica Monet, and I'm only imagining some other sex-positive luminaries That's right. uh, that you have in this book. And I also wanted to talk about how you asked those people for consent to be used in that book before you mention them, and it, you do make a big deal out of consent. The book happens to take us down these dark neighborhoods of power play and unspeakable fantasies and we go into even childhood molestation those are all common human impulses and i'd even say sorry i'm like speaking of power <laughs> <laughs> no no it's there we are yeah. so these are even primal or animal impulses mm -hmm. when we start moving into that territory we want to be even more conscious of what impact does it have on the people around me? Are they willing participants in this play? And the mentors that I mentioned are all doing very deep work in both consciousness and sexuality. And I could have, it's a fiction book, so I could have totally went into just, oh, these are fictional characters. But I actually wanted to lead my readers who are interested in getting more information some breadcrumbs so that they could start looking into, wow, there's a whole world of sex educators out there. And this is also a resource, not just masturbatory material. But also masturbatory <laughs> material. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can self-pleasure. And certainly I, it was some very arousing and provocative scenes. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I, I burst into tears last night 
as I was reading about your, actually two lines made me cry, the part about the zip ties and then she got to go multitask and take a shower. And then she was like, she doesn't really know, you know, how much it pleasures me to serve her. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> Sounds like you have a, a bit of a submissive uh, streak yeah. in you. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm. I'm a switch, you know, but definitely, certainly more of a pillow queen. If Beautiful. I really come down to it, and then the other part that really was so sweet is when I think this was a flogging scene. Raven was like really getting into flogging <laughs> Violet, and and she's like. You know, you can always use your safe words. You can always use your colors. You know? <laughs> and she's like, green! And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the things that make fantasy important and what differentiates fantasy from real life? Fantasy is important for the sake of integration. Most of us have almost running fantasy all the time. It's like a background commentary or like it happens at the sub or super conscious levels. It's a part of us and it's not usually the part of us that you want to give the drive, the steering wheel to because you wouldn't yeah. function in mm-hmm. society if you were, you know, you'd be an infomaniac perhaps if you were just indulging every fantasy. Right. But like every uh, time you had an erotic thought, you'd be like, oops, drops. <laughs> you'd be kicked out of the grocery store. Totally. Of, like the post office. <laughs> the um, melon section. Get out of here. <laughs> so, so you want to be able to sometimes say, okay, here's a safe container where we're going to let that part of us actually steer. And mm. you know, it's kind of like going to a parking lot and, <laughs> and learning to safely drive. <laughs> um, but you want to integrate those parts, not always keep them in the basement. So by bringing them out and having them witness, perhaps just with your own self-pleasuring session, but maybe it's with a lover, a friend, or a play partner where you get to explore. And that helps us realize like, oh, this is, this creates more wholeness. This is a part of me that wants a voice. It clears up space so that we're not so split. I mean, because if we always push that down, then we can actually fracture. And I would argue that a lot of the people that have compulsive sexual issues, whether it's like they're flashing someone or they're crank calling and speaking dirty on the phone, it's like usually those kind of behaviors come out because they never had a healthy way to integrate those otherwise natural impulses. Right. Because the erotic is a healthy part of every person at every age. It's just that we need to figure out how to... (laughs) Exactly. Like how to be open and also respectful of other people. So this is kind of a sexual awakening story. It really feels like both a sexual awakening for Raven and Violet, you know, this submissive. Can you say a little bit more about their different journeys? Yeah. So it's a fun polarity that these two have because Violet is, has this innocence and this enthusiasm and the whole world it's almost like when someone's so erotically innocent there's nothing wrong (laughs) right and everything turns her on and it's so like oh that's so (laughs) precious girl hang on to that you know because we so often like tamp our eroticism down you know we try not to feel what we're feeling just to not give the wrong impression or not, you know, I mean, it's a part of rape culture is to suppress all of our erotic feelings, both for men and women. And it's not healthy. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. And so to have someone who embodies like as an archetype yeah. embodies that erotic innocence and the contrast of course, is that her Raven who's in the role of like mentor and dominant who is very experienced and jaded and also has a her particular kink is in teaching, like is right. in guiding and instructing her, but to have such a willing student enlivens her. And then it, it sort of fuels the adventures that they get to go on together. But yeah, the, there is a newness for Raven in that this beloved is so like securely attached and a lot of times like with with raven she she would run away or give up or but but violet is just so all in that it heals a part of raven that doesn't trust and she allows herself to lean in to the impossible and i also want to talk a little bit about some of raven's ideas around kind of ownership but more like her i'm in the section where we're talking about she's unlearning the lesbian norms, being a gold star lesbian, she had to give that up when she met her partner. And you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of like cultural things about sexuality that you really uncover. Can we talk a little bit about those things? Sure. And you know, I'm feeling into your listeners and like, since this is my first time on your show and I know that it's like- (laughs) <laughs> oh yay so, but it was um, so long ago I don't really remember what we talked about either you went on it was so long ago I don't have it on tape either but anyway it was, it was di- great it's a different version of both of us right yes like, it really <laughs> is it's more than seven years ago a whole new me a whole new you and right uh, I'm sure a whole new audience too <laughs> right exactly so, so you know what I'm wondering you know when when I think about like you know, what are the norms that need to be deconstructed? And what Raven stands in for, she's part of various subcultures that have their own, like in the kink community, these are the rules. Right. You know? like in the lesbian culture, this is the norm. And what about in the polyamorous culture? And so there's these different subcultures that each have their own kind of containers. And what happens when we're going through an awakening is a certain degree of like questioning everything. It's like, ooh, I'm, I'm awakening to this new thing. And there's a kid in a candy store around like anything's possible. But yet there's probably some reason why those cultures have those norms. Right. <laughs> it's really a deep question for the reader, you know, or in this case, like for the audience to say like, ooh, what are my own sexual what like mm-hmm. hit boxes where's mm-hmm. the limits to where i let myself be expressed and what's not okay yeah and maybe just a starting point to be like hey honey <laughs> would it be okay if i used this toy on another partner or you know how would that feel to you is it just our thing all of these little landmines that we don't know until we step on them wouldn't it be nice if we could all sort of decode those before we got there? Right. Some people have toys and they don't even let their partners use them because they're like, this is just for my own self-pleasure. And like, that's codified. Whose is the toy? (laughs) Yeah. So to question all of that, okay, what meaning are we making of Mm -hmm. our sexual practices? And what I really appreciate as a certified sexual health educator is you model really solid, you put a condom on each toy. 
You know what I mean? You actually see them like roll and even on the banana. <laughs> so sweet. I'm so glad you appreciate that, Monica. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so important because in real life, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's a trick as a, an artist and a sex educator. I get tripped up sometimes because my art can be very didactic. It could be like, oh, is this an instruction manual? You know, I did have people who read the ethical disclaimer in the beginning and they're like, yawn, get to the juice, you know? <laughs> so I'm glad. Well, as I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm geeking out on it. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I'm sure the things that we geek out about others might may or may not appreciate. But well, you can skip through it if you want to and then come <laughs> back when you're like, oh, that's why she's putting a condom on a banana. <laughs> oh, After you get a yeast infection. Then you'll be like, oh, oh, I understand. That's why you don't put sugar in a vagina. I mean, <laughs> and all those flavored lubes and all those things, it's like so common that we aren't really understanding the nature of the flora that lives in the vaginal canal. It's a delicate balance. Delicate flower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what Violet calls her yoni. So mm -hmm. that's just so sweet to like have her talk about her flower. And then also some of the explorations, what I'm really noticing is you're really trying to unpack some of the things around slut shaming in these scenes. Can you say a little bit about that? huge part of why I got attracted to BDSM and kink was my own sense of like, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm a slut. I feel shameful. You know, I, I had, I had a unconscious like shell that really got broken open. You know, I remember, gosh, I was, I think I was in college when I had my first Dom scene and felt like being called a slut. The literal slut shaming was liberating. <laughs> I was like, how could I, how could this be liberating? Um, right. And so the irony of it in my own life has led me to recognize that the dark tantric arts and playing with the shadow side of our sexuality can actually be liberating in a culture, you know, that says it's bad to be sexy. It can actually make it good. Yeah. Um, so it's really subverting that and the relationship that these two women have because of the DS dynamic frees both of them. Right. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about this journey into sacred sexuality all along, I've been kind of like interested in both BDSM and Tantra. But then as I've, you know, I just threw a bondage dinner in a cathedral Ooh. last November. It was really cool. You know, one of those moments where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is me. I'm me and I get to do this. Ah. So <laughs> it was very exciting. And what I was really trying to do was make sex sacred again. Mm -hmm. And for me, both BDSM and Tantra are healing modalities. Mm -hmm. And BDSM really focuses on the intensity and the sympathetic nervous system arousal, like, oh, this is so sexy and so intense and so much stimulation. And then the Tantra is more parasympathetic nervous system. So it's like, Oh, that feels so good. And oh, I feel so safe. And this is so healing. Mm 
right? Mm -hmm. And both Violet and Raven embody both of those parts. And it's interesting seeing them go through scenes and use BDSM and Tantra for healing. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk about any particular I'll scenes? I'll add, you know, yes. that not only are both of those healing, but they're also trance-inducing. Right. So we get into this ecstatic state of arousal, and through Tantra, it's through the sustaining of that, we actually get altered. And there's nothing like the altering of being you know, in subspace or top space where it's like all of a sudden you're in a type of an ecstasy that really is an extraordinary reality. And that can be revelational is to be in this alter. It's, you know, it's better than drugs, <laughs> but both Tantra and BDSM access a medicinal, like a erotic trance that can be revelatory. Yeah. Do you want to talk about in what ways sex can be healing? Yeah, I would say I'm going to point to three different ways and I'll say that there's a whole combination in between. But at the most basic level, the actual neurochemistry, like the cascade of endorphins and dopamine and you know, serotonin, like that whole, the oxytocin, that whole chemistry bath can heal physical ailments, like whether you have a headache or you have cramps or you have even injuries, the body itself is getting healed. It can also heal, as we mentioned, the sex shame, right? The external limiting beliefs about what's possible, mm -hmm. our life force energy. Mm -hmm. And then it can be healing as a relational balm. I believe the deepest wound on the planet is the wound of separation, being incarnating into a separate body and thinking we're separate. And then when we go into sexual connection, when we're safe and can really be met, it helps us transcend that wound and realize that we are, there's a oneness here and it connects us to humanity. And so it can be this real transcendental experience as well. Often it's some combination of this, these and more ways, but the healing happens in multiple dimensions. Yeah, I really like thinking, because especially with BDSM, you wouldn't think that BDSM is healing because oftentimes it's about sensations of pain and intensity. People hit each other and people are like, oh, how could that possibly be healing? Yeah, and so most of us have been emotionally abused or hit or traumatized in ways that were unconscious and scarring and it creates a trauma and that trauma lives in our body and sometimes can't actually be healed until we can induce a similar state mm. and, and so the shamanic definition of trauma is okay if i'm getting beat up and i give you the example my mom used to slut shame me a lot and if she's yelling at me and i'm a little kid and i have nowhere to go i leave my body you know i go disassociate into somewhere that's safe and i'm just like it's not safe here on earth right well when my dominatrix in college is doing this flogging scene on me calling me a slut and is pouring love in my direction i'm like whoa i'm actually an adult i'm safe this person loves me and I feel all the same feelings that my mom used to feel. And I'm actually a whole person. My right. soul can come back in in that moment in a way that my soul can't come back in if I'm laying on a therapy couch just talking about what my mother used to do to me. 
So it's really an embodied opportunity to reclaim parts of our soul that went away when we were unsafe and we co we kind of create a scene in which we can remember our wholeness. Yeah. Also, in many ways, Tantra can be healing, but it uses different methodologies. Do you want to talk a little bit about how Tantra is healing in this book? Yeah. So I will say, independent of this book, and this book shows the different levels, but I'm going to go back to this mapping. Tantra actually inherently isn't healing as much as it is a path towards enlightenment. But if we're wanting to awaken you know, towards our divinity, we have to first uncover and clear a lot of the trauma that we've either incurred or that even if we didn't go through the abuse that I talked about with my mom, we live in a culture that has so much fucking trauma. So the cultural trauma gets absorbed into us. And so in order to realize God through the erotic nature of our, of our being, we have to first move through that trauma. And that's what Tantra provides, like a a space in which the God force comes through us. It's not just through slowing down, but whether it's breath, sound, movement, whatever, whatever tantric practice we're doing, we're accessing this God force and the God force is going to blow through whatever obstacles are in the way of love. And if that's trauma, then <laughs> you can say, okay, cool. I'm going to heal on the way to knowing myself as God. Mm -hmm. We talk a little bit in the book about California hot tub, Tantra? Tantra. <laughs> yeah. And I just love that because hot tubs are nice, you know, but you also, <laughs> there are lots of different levels of Tantra. You said that there were three levels of Tantra talked about in the book. Can you tell me what those are? I'm imagining that I made the distinction about white, pink, and red. I'm not sure which. <laughs> You have written so many books now. I'm like, hmm. sure. No, I know. We're <laughs> going to talk about your other book too. It's exciting. So this is a simple distinction. There are many different types of Tantra. And one of the big critiques that I get being that I am a California resident and I am teaching a unique brand of shamanic Tantra around the world. There's often a critique around like, well, what's your lineage? And is this authentic and true Tantra? And, you know, having studied the kind of Tantra that was practiced in feudalistic Tibet, I'm a total renegade and feel strongly that people should, accessing their erotic path towards divinity can look so different and it may not have lineage. It might pull from different lineages. It's like, what's alive? Because if you're trying to practice it the way they did in feudalistic Tibet, and you actually live your life in a hot tub in California, what's the relevance? <laughs> so I do want to give permission to all flavors. And the simplification I probably referenced was that there's white Tantra tending to be upper chakras and more of the consciousness path. And then there's red Tantra, which is more of the embodied sexual erotic path. And the pink is a combination of those two where we sometimes most tantra is pink tantra and it's somewhere in the middle yeah i just think it's funny because so many people are sting did some tantra and then everyone's like oh but just finding your authenticity is important too and then the other thing that people are talking about is cultural appropriation what is recognizing where this comes from and then what is 
just human energy and borrowing from that in the same way of borrowing from a recipe. Yeah, and it's a delicate conversation. And I, you know, we won't get into the nuances of it here, but I will say that it's a dangerous conversation because when one has a lot of, so in my experience, when there's a lot of judgment around, hey, this is being borrowed or stolen, or like there's a lot of cautions around it, people will tend to not allow themselves to explore or make mistakes. They start tiptoeing around their sacred sexual practice. And that as well intended as it is to protect the indigenous people from whom certain practices were borrowed, and it may be really well intended, but what's the effect? Because the effect can look like sex shame. The effect can look like, oh, you're not allowed to do Kama Sutra positions because you aren't properly trained. And it's like, okay, and we want to liberate people awaken them, empower them. And this is a time in which I feel it's very important that people be given permission to explore with their sexuality, even if they're going to make mistakes along the way, because that's how we learn. Exactly. And I think that as long as you acknowledge the history, acknowledge the people in your practices, I think it's fair because in many ways we are borrowing from a lot of cultures all the time, just in our modern lives. So one practice and path is to, with a heartfelt acknowledgement, kind of like I did with, hey, I studied with Annie Sprinkle and Charles Muir, and like, hey, I want to, you know, acknowledge teachers where and when we can, and also the humbleness of, I do so many practices, I don't fucking know where they came from. I don't know the lineages. I really genuinely don't, but I know that with deep gratitude and intent to give back and to do no harm, doing these practices sincerely and humbly, humbly, like I didn't invent this and yet it's available to humanity if we are on a sincere path of awakening and we get into these ecstatic states and we download certain practices and we download them directly and somebody can and has often said, oh, you learned that from this and that. It's like, actually, that came to me because if when you're in that field, right. these practices will head hop <laughs> to different people in different ecstatic states. Like, you know, I didn't necessarily learn this practice from that lineage, but it's now available to me because I'm in this ecstatic state. So let's break this down a little bit. So you're saying that when you are meditating, doing some kind of sacred, sexual, maybe some self-pleasuring plus clearing your mind of all other thoughts, you're able to access information. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I feel that everybody is able. Like, it's not like, oh, I have this superpower. It's something that comes with, it's, it's one of the gifts that comes with orgasm, right? Yeah. So, so orgasm has this, this singularity that opens up. I will say, <laughs> here's a perfect example. Perfect example is when the brain researchers look at someone orgasming, they call it, it's not just, ooh, there's a pleasure center. It's like, there's a God spot, right? Uh -huh. Everything, everything lights up. Lights up. Also, mm -hmm. There's also, oh God, in whatever language everybody's saying, oh God, and, and you don't want to say, oh, I patented that. I'm the first person that said, oh God, at climax. It's like, that's what humanity does, right? But right. So, so does at that God level, that creator level, we also create, get new ideas, get access to 
to insights or inventions. And those inventions or insights aren't necessarily ours. You know, it's just the ego that wants to say, I want the information, I want to patent this and make it my intellectual property, right? That's the ego, but we're popping through to a soul level and it's a transcendent self that gives us access to collective consciousness that the more we practice sexuality beyond the personality, then the more we can access this, this collective field. I guess they kind of touch on that a little bit in 52 Fridays, mm-hmm. but you wrote another book earlier this year about sacred sexual shamanism. Could you show us that book? That's right. Yeah. So it's called Sex Shamans. And this book is a collection of true stories. You know, the big distinction with 52 Fridays being 52 fantasies that are fictionalized account with these characters. This is 20 stories of real witches and healers and various, you know, I have a midwife and Osho, like a Rajneeshi, like a lot of different paths. And the intention behind the diversity is to share that it's not like there's one lineage of this is a sex shaman and they come from this tribe. It's more like these are modern day people who awakened and experienced different teachings and then it coalesced in their life to where they dedicated themselves to the sexual healing and it, to this erotic ecstatic path that gives them these, these downloads and these insights to give back to the tribe. Well, the intention ultimately when you read this is that you have your own awakening and that you realize wherever you are in your path, wow, I, I have the empowerment to make this my own path. Yeah, I can't wait. It's really exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm really going to definitely, I'm only on page 222 of 52 Fridays, but I'm definitely looking forward to finishing it because it's so interesting. And then watching these journeys and also you are polyamorous. That was kind of what your reality television show was about. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's called Polyamory Married and Dating on Showtime. I can only imagine that these polyamorous stories really help people open up to the possibility like maybe maybe a threesome might be okay (laughs) yeah i mean the threesome is it's sort of like the gold standard of (laughs) it's like what think people think of actually quite challenging to attain and to sustain three-way sexual dynamics takes a lot of mastery totally Uh, and a lot of communication absolutely yeah. The agreements. Sensitivity and detachment, a willingness to be like, hey, let's be with where the erotic charge is. And it might be, it ends up in a big cuddle and that's the perfect place where we all meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point being that, you know, a lot of polyamory is about loving multiple people, regardless of how many people you're sleeping with. It's that open communication, kind of devotion to long-term love. And it is modeled in the 52 Fridays because it represents one year. So this is the first year of this couple's partnership in the context of having other partners. So it adds a lot of dynamics. I think there's actually threesomes and foursomes in 52 Fridays, but I shouldn't offer you any spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how is polyamory going during the pandemic? So collectively, I'll say that a lot of families are very challenged. There's often a primary 
if someone's living in a bubble and then they say, okay, I want to see my other partner. And then they have to communicate who are else are they all seeing and how, all, what are their protocols? And so it gets, it gets very complicated. Exponentially tricky. Absolutely. Personally, I'm very fortunate. You know, I have a lot of lovers who know and love each other and who are all practicing safety protocols that are very similar. And so that makes it very abundant. And I do feel like, yeah, there, there, that there was a transitional period where it was very challenging and now, and going forward, because the pandemic is long game. So going forward, I think we're establishing shorthand communication tools that are just going to improve everyone's safety forever in the future. So I feel more relaxed about, you know, in the beginning, it's like, this is the end of polyamory. (laughs) And now it's like, look, we're upgrading our communication and we're nothing if we're not awesome communicators. So it's just yet another challenge. What I heard from many people because I also go back and forth between the polyamorous world and the monogamous world, because they're both really helpful tools in understanding communication and commitment and et cetera. But when polyamorous people are already testing frequently and they're already communicating about what they're a yes to and what they're a no to. And so just all of those tools just came in super handy. And yeah. now awesome. everyone is having to adopt. Yeah, that's right. We were contact tracing way before the rest of the world was. <laughs> right. <just> catching up. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I imagine that things like Tinder, people's hookups is also changing. Are you seeing any new people? I'm actually in new relationship love with a new book. (laughs) That's how you're using your creative juices. No, it makes sense. Yes. I'm working on a new book. And the first chapter of the new book is called Thanks to Tinder. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. So definitely not a stranger to doing research with the window shopping (laughs) on Tinder. Right. And it is like that dopamine window shopping. You're like, oh. And then the match is all like, woo, match, dopamine. It's very similar to any social media where it's like, okay, we're, you know, and I got my like and, you Uh know, it it lights up parts of the brain and the reward centers. Yeah. And I'm also really grateful because it's never been like, we're in an age when it's never been so easy to reach out and meet people. And so there's obviously this digital dilemma between connecting online is never going to be a substitute for the deep sharing of breath. And yet there are soul connections that we can have and we can deeply grow from the biting, inspiring conversations that we're having right now. Yeah. A lot of what the pandemic has given us. I mean, there's Tantra festivals that have gone online And it's possible to eye gaze over Zoom. And it's possible to do a lot of things that you would just be like, really, that's possible? But you can still have the mirror neurons and, oh, that feels so good. You know, like, and I'm touching my heart and you're touching your heart. The mirror neurons and all of our ways of relating and connecting, we're still able to do that. And then also just adding the extra layer of consciousness Okay, so I'm doing the pandemic Tinder version. Mm-hmm. So, so it says in my profile that we're going to have to get to know each other. I'm not going to just be like, hey, let's hook up because this is A, Tinder and B, <laughs> pandemic. 
And I think that this is a time where I don't think I would have joined Tinder before because it didn't feel safe. Mm. Um, but now that everyone has to adopt higher standards or they can just say, I'm not doing that at all. And then I'm all like swiping right. <laughs> <laughs> so we can really get to know, are you willing to be more conscious with me? Mm-hmm. And then that's a good match. Yeah. So you yeah. have to be really more discerning. Yeah, it's a discernment or vetting tool right at the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between judgment and discernment. I'll make a very simple observation that judgment comes from the personality, likes and dislikes, and these are my preferences. And discernment is more of a function of one's sovereignty and like you're coming from a soul place of like, ooh, what's in the highest good, not just of myself, but others. And to actually, is this value aligned? Does this align with my soul values? And to make a decision based on that kind of discernment, it makes all the difference. So as a writer, I know I've seen in your writing that you sometimes are trying to step out of the way of your ego and really try to break it down to what is going to be dissolving the separation. Mm. Can you say more about that? That's a great reflection. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm also on this path, right? Like, I'm also like, oh, we really need to, I like, first of all, we need to all awaken to our sexuality and like, let go of shame. And that's what Sexploration with Monica is about. It's about creating consent culture where we can be more educated and more informed about sexuality and be free and conscious and then using our sexuality to uplift each other. And it's so healing and it's so good. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So how is your writing? What are you writing and what are you working on that helps you look at this is where my ego was and this is where I want to be? It's so funny that I've been writing for, I have all these books and I've been writing for over a decade where I get to see 15 years ago, oh, that's where I was. And now, and there is an, a flowering of where I am now. And then there's documenting, sometimes embarrassingly so, of where I was. Um, <laughs> I know. At, at the same time, that's so with consciousness. That's so with the collective. If we go back to Buddha's writings, there's disparaging stuff written about women because that was the norm. And Buddha was so enlightened, but he was an absolute mongrel when it comes to like feminism. Sexist, right? Yeah, totally. And and so, you know, like Gandhi was too. Totally. Not just that, like sex negative, like his, I almost barfed when I I was reading his autobiographic, like I love Gandhi. Nobody's done better, more, you know, in the world for nonviolence. And then I'm reading his sex, shame and negativity. And it's just like, oh, this is so hard to stomach. Um, But we're a product of our culture. You know, we're such a product of our culture. And so, so much of what the work that I'm doing is both the commentary on the culture, because I'm part of it, because it's the air I'm breathing, because it's, you know, but also a visioning and a pioneering of what else is possible. Exactly. Our current culture is crumbling. And we need to be the proverbial Gandhi words of being the change that we want to see in the world. 
And what does it look to vibrate that new possibility as a sex positive person? What would it look like to be sexually liberated? And that's usually a core thread that I'm following as I go on these writing journeys. Right. And you can do the research and look at the history and see where we were and then take the good and then leave what isn't working anymore. Just be present to how can I improve this and how can I make this better? Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful. What do you want to tell us about your next book? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share that. Oh, the next book that I'm writing. I yeah. want to talk about this because next yeah, time we no, talk, yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about sex shamans. Yeah, let's and talk about sex shamans a little bit. I shared with you the basics of it. What I will say is that it has a lot of personal narrative. When we're talking about changing culture and we're talking about awakening consciousness, we can get very much into the transpersonal and that has to include the personal. So I go deeply into each of these personal stories so that we see that it's universal. At the heart of everyone's story, we're all, <laughs> that's my cat, but we are all on a soul journey. So I really look at this as allies to support people on their sexual journey. Well, I want to thank you so much. I know that we're coming to the end of our time today. Where can people find 52 Fridays? All of my books are on Amazon, but I'm going to suggest, or anywhere. If we want to avoid Amazon, just Great. say, you know, if we so, wanted to. Excellent. Wherever books are sold, all your independent mm -hmm. stores. If you look up 52 Fridays distributed by Simon & Schuster, you'll find lots of resources, but I'd love to send you to my website so that yeah. I can stay in touch with you. I do have some free chapters of my books and other free goodies and giveaways on my newsletter. So if you go to kamaladebbie.com, I would love to have you sign up for the newsletter and just stay in touch. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to say was that people can find you on YouTube and watch all of your videos. Mm -hmm. And that is hours of entertainment. And it's so <laughs> kind of automatically goes to the next one. So you like, it's mesmerizing. You can like go into a little YouTube spiral on Kamala Devi and it is good times. Thank you, Monica. That's so sweet. <laughs> I love that you do this exploration. Thank you for having me today. Definitely. Namaste. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Sexploration with Monica. And now you can subscribe to Sexploration with Monica on YouTube and watch this episode. And at sexplorationwithmonica.com you can put whatever word you like into my search box and over a hundred episodes are there for you to explore 24 seven. Mm -hmm.